Hi, my name's Doug, and this is my show, History Out of the Closet, teaching you the queer history that probably wasn't taught to you in school. I know I wasn't taught this stuff in school, and I guess it's just something that we have to teach ourselves. Today's episode, it's a wonderful day in the gayberhood. The last couple episodes were kind of heavy material. It's Pride Month, so let's talk about something that's worth celebrating. Part 1. What and Why What is a gay village, a gayborhood, or a gay ghetto? These are all names for the same thing. It's a defined area of a city, usually with at least one commercial street with businesses like gay bars, nightclubs, restaurants, bathhouses, shops, and salons. The commercial street is surrounded by residential blocks where a lot of LGBT people live or used to live before, which is the case for some gay villages now. Walking in these neighborhoods, you can't miss it. You'll see rainbow flags hanging from businesses, same-sex couples showing public displays of affection openly, and this is where the annual Pride Festival and parade usually take place. You've heard of Little Italy and Chinatown, which came together because immigrants from these countries settled in the same areas of the city to help one another out. Why do queer people have their own neighborhood? They're not immigrants. There's an advantage for minorities when you stick together, and here are the benefits that queer people had by creating their own neighborhoods. Finding gay people to date is a challenge. Think about a time before the internet and dating apps. You had to look for partners in person. So it's a huge advantage to have your dating pool concentrated in one area. Think about looking for a partner all over the city. You might hit on somebody who's not gay and their reaction might not be pleasant. Reason number two, of course, is safety in numbers. You can leave your house without being afraid that someone's going to jump you, without being afraid that someone's going to verbally harass you as you walk down the street. If someone does give you trouble, you know that your neighbors are gonna come to your rescue and chase the homophobes away. Another advantage is political. If gay people are spread out across the city, their vote might not make any impact. If you have queer people concentrated in one electoral district, then you decide who will win. You can pick a candidate that supports your cause, your beliefs, and you can even elect one of your own. Think Harvey Milk who is a city supervisor in San Francisco. The last benefit I'm gonna talk about is that gay businesses can survive and thrive if they stick together. Gay bars don't have to be underground. Bathhouses or saunas can operate openly and businesses in daylight can open. Pet stores, restaurants, cafes, bookstores, and hair salons. It's not just nightlife anymore. Let's listen to a clip from a documentary on the Castro. It just felt like a little, a little town. And you saw, though, a lot, especially of gay men, walking around, and some lesbians. And people seemed to be a little bit more relaxed. And you were in the daylight. And everything I had experienced on the East Coast around being gay was, uh, happened at night. It's sort of like you only came out after sundown. I was at a point where I was making a switch from my life where I had kept my gay life private and separate and after hours. I was beginning to want a more integrated experience of being out and gay 24 hours a day. So I decided that it's time to step out into the sunlight and become part of, uh, of a gay community that was emerging. To be able to walk around on the street and to not be shutting down part of myself so that I wouldn't be detected. And uh, 
that meant so much. And it, and it started to change me dramatically. Really dramatically. Part two, the perfect storm. The formation of a gay community in a city is not always the same. Take San Francisco's Castro District, for example. After World War II, the military dropped off a lot of gay servicemen and women in San Francisco after they were discharged for being gay. They had been fighting for the U.S. against the Japanese in the Pacific Theater. When they got back to San Francisco, many of them stayed there, a more liberal city compared to their small homophobic town in the middle of America. San Francisco was a better choice. A few years later, the gay military population in San Francisco started attracting gay people from small communities in the surrounding areas and even some adjacent states. Gays still had to be underground until the late 1960s when the perfect conditions, what I call the perfect storm, led to the creation of the first gay village in America. Gays had been spread out in the center of the city, and when white flight took the Irish families out of the Castro to live in the suburbs, their big old Victorian homes went up for sale, or those families started renting them out. Many businesses also left. The gays took advantage of the cheap rent and moved in. What also contributed was the free spirit hippie movement that took place in the adjacent neighborhood, The Hate. This movement was about acceptance, love, and progressive mindset which was open to gay people. The new residents of the Castro revitalized the area, fixing up those old Victorian homes, gardening, and making the place look nice. You forget the newness of it, and there was an innocence about it, a naivete really about the whole thing that I think gets lost now. Um, people talk about the, the bathhouses and the sex clubs and things like that, and, and it all sounds very tawdry and, and jaded, but I don't remember it that way. I remember it as being terribly exciting, terribly romantic, and very much about the individual exploration and liberation that was occurring in our lives. Greenwich Village in New York City formed in a similar way, but dates back even further than the Castro, to World War I. Queer soldiers returning from the war in Europe didn't want to go back to their small towns. They decided to stay in the big city. Again, the perfect storm led to the community organizing in secret. Prohibition forced all bars to go underground. Everyone, even straights, were hiding their drinking establishments. So that made it easier for gays to hide their own speakeasies. In the 50s, the bars that gays frequented were targeted by police who used entrapment to catch gay men. They would chat them up at bars and buy them a drink and then put them in handcuffs. Straight bar owners in Greenwich Village put up with the gay clientele because they brought in a lot of money. Drinks were a lot more expensive in these bars because the owners were paying the police to look the other way, just like businesses paying the mafia for protection. At the time, it was illegal for gay people to congregate and be served drinks in bars. The bars risked being shut down or losing their liquor licenses. Indeed, the police did raid many bars. The Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village was the breaking point, when the community fought back against the police to get the rights they deserved, and to be able to be out and open. We'll go into that in more detail on Stonewall in another episode. Like I said with San Francisco and the hippies of the 60s, Greenwich Village had the Beatniks, who were a bohemian group focused on writing and art, and many were open to gays, and indeed some beats were gay themselves. 
Most of America, until relatively recently, until the 1960s or 70s, if you were of an artistic bent, or you wanted to be, God forbid, a poet, or, uh, or you were gay or lesbian, um, or you had radical political ideas, you were probably a lonely misfit and outcast almost anywhere you lived. But there was one place that everybody heard of, this place called Greenwich Village, this magical place where, where you could go. And a lot of people fled to Greenwich Village from everywhere around the country, and then also from Europe. Um, and found that they were not only among other people like them and were not only allowed to be whoever they were, uh, as outrageous or idiosyncratic as that was, but they were encouraged to be and they were encouraged to act out. And that's a long tradition in the village, acting out. Once the gays made Greenwich Village a hot spot in the city as an attractive place to live, rents went up and it was too expensive for new queer residents. So they moved to nearby Chelsea and then to Hell's Kitchen. Of course, now rent anywhere in Manhattan is sky high, but these neighborhoods still maintain a high LGBT population, and I don't think they're going anywhere. And I remember talking to someone, and he asked me where I lived, and I said New Jersey, and he said, well, why do you come all the way to the east side? Why don't you go to Greenwich Village? It's all gay. Wow, when I heard that, some is all gay. And I'd heard about Greenwich Village, but, you know, I'd been away for so many years, and a lot happened. Stonewall and everything. So, a lot. Uh, Greenwich Village was one of the gay meccas of the world, especially in the United States. I guess it was Greenwich Village and San Francisco. So I decided, okay, I'm heck with the East Side. I'm going to start finding bars in Greenwich Village. And of course, I found my way to Christopher Street. And from the moment we arrived, no one cared about your race, your religion, your sexuality. It's like, tell me about yourself right now, not what you did last year. They don't care that I was in the Peace Corps or where I went to college. What are you about right now? What are you doing now? And for me, that's the way Greenwich Village has always been. I felt like I had really found heaven. It was a place we could walk hand in hand. Being an interracial couple, being a gay couple, we went to gay-owned restaurants, gay bars. I really had found nirvana. Other cities, like Austin, Texas, and Tel Aviv in Israel are well-known gay cities. But these cities don't have villages defined by a specific neighborhood. Instead, the whole city is known as a safe space for LGBT people. Now, this could be because the urban planning of the cities, or it could be that these are newer gay destinations and came to be when homosexuals and all queer people were more accepted by society and didn't have to stick together in one geographic area for those benefits that we previously talked about. My personal experience with the gay village in Toronto started when I was 12 years old. A friend of mine from school came back from the weekend in Toronto with a story. He told us his mom drove him through Church Street as a joke to see his reaction. He told us all how gross it was that he saw two guys holding hands and kissing that went to the back of my mind for a few years until I realized that I was gay myself. I can tell you that my first experience going to a gay club, it was buddies in bad times in Toronto, and it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Instead of a setting like school or work where you're assumed to be straight, in the village, you're assumed to be gay, bi, or anything but straight, and that's refreshing. You don't have to worry about coming out to anyone and being concerned with their reaction and if they'll treat you differently, it's a nice feeling to have this oasis, a safe space where you can be yourself with other people who understand. That social experience is something I continued to look for and found that by joining a gay sports league in Toronto. And just like I thought, it was a great feeling to be with a bunch of guys who are like me. Look, if you're not queer, you probably have a hard time understanding this feeling. But every single time I meet someone new, I have to think about coming out to them. 
You don't just come out once, you do it over and over again. Being in an environment where you don't have to do that when you meet new people, that's a great feeling. All that being said, I don't live in the gay village in Toronto. I feel safe in my neighborhood, which is somewhat bohemian and hipster. Walk a bit further down on King Street on a Saturday, and I do feel like I'd be verbally harassed by a group of broy chads and brads. No city can be perfect. So that was my first experience in 2009, but let's listen to what Toronto's village was like before that. This is the general manager of the famous bar Woody's, Dean Odorico. We opened in 1989. Uh, we were sort of the, the first big bar in this area. When we first opened up, no one would sit in our windows. People would gravitate to the back of the bar. They felt more safety there. It was not as easy to be out and gay at that time. After we opened, a lot of things changed on the street with the Maple Leaf Gardens closing, CBC moving their head office, and Partners Film Production consolidated their office. They used to have three large spaces on the street. As the street progressed with more clubs opening, it really changed the makeup of the street. There's people around at all times. The patios added a lot of vibrancy and there's safety in numbers. There were several really good years where all the clubs are doing very well. The rents on the street got ridiculous because it was a hot spot. The internet affected the bars as well. Uh, when I was young and gay, you went and you met people in person. You couldn't meet them on the internet. So that definitely changed the numbers of people going to the bars. Tourism has gone down. A lot of the new tenants are more chain businesses, either coffee shops or fast food places. So it is different. Part three. What now? So the question arises, do we still need gay villages and cities? At one time, they were safe pockets across the country where gay people had more civil liberties, more wealth, and political strength than gays in any other part of the country. Now, with gay marriage legalized in many countries, in most cities, you can freely live your life in any neighborhood you want without fear. You don't need to go to one central location to find a partner to date. You can go online. The same thing goes for organizing with other gay people or social groups. The internet is a great tool. The younger generation just seems less interested. I still think it's worth preserving. There is a culture there. And even if younger queer people just use it as a place for nightlife, I think that it could still be enough to keep the villages going. Gay villages are good for cities. The sooner a city recognizes this, they can leverage it to their advantage. That's right, us gays are a highly sought after commodity. Let's listen to University of Toronto professor Richard Florida, who talks about gays in the community being an indicator of economic growth and success. He appears on the Colbert Report back in 2007. The theory is tolerant communities where homosexuals are likely to reside nurture an open-minded culture of creativity which can lead to innovations like Google or YouTube or shirtless hunks bagging groceries.com. <laughs> Once these oddballs strike it rich, they supposedly put their money back into the community. Well, personally, I don't believe the value of my 12-bedroom tutor will go up just because a couple of opticians move in next door. Oh, yeah, a lot of opticians are gay. <laughs> Think about that the next time one of them straps you into that mechanical Mardi Gras mask they got. And now, folks, to see if he can tolerate my withering cross-examination, joining me to defend this indefensible theory is the author of the study and professor of business and creativity at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, 
Richard Florida. Richard Florida, thank hey, you so Steve. much for joining us. How are you doing? Coming on. Okay. Now this is uh, this is your book, The Rise of the Creative Class. Here, all right. Now tell me, uh, you mentioned something in your study called the tolerance premium. What 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 is that? Well, you said it, Stephen. If you, I did not say it. You said it. It's in your. Well, study. you said it in your introductory remarks. Okay. Uh, if you live in a city or a neighborhood that has a large concentration of gay and lesbian people, which I do not, go ahead. Those artistic and creative bohemians. Yes. Then you're going to get a premium for your house, and you're going to see wages and incomes rise in that community. What? Okay, but it, it, is being tolerant good for economics? I mean, I thought the free market was I got mine, Jack. You do have yours, but being tolerant is a great thing. You know, that's what made America great, right, Stephen? It's the kind of place that being immigrants... tolerant gay people made. America great. That's what religious you're freedom, political freedom, sexual freedom. You know, it's the '60s that started it, Steve, and it's the places like San Francisco and New York where all of this interesting revolution in culture happened. Gay and lesbian people could nest, artistic bohemians, and then we saw the economy boom. But wait a second, you're making a correlation between this tolerance and someone being well off. How do you know they're well off because they're tolerant? Maybe they're tolerant because they're well off. Because if I got some extra cash, I don't mind what Harry and Larry are doing down the street, okay? <laughs> but if I'm poor, okay, I feel threatened by everything. Well, both are, pro both are probably true. Except only if, my part is if true. If you're more well-off, you're, you're probably a lot more tolerant. Right. But the neighborhoods that have more tolerant and open-minded people, like Soho. You know, at one time, it was a declining manufacturing neighborhood. The rents and property values were going down. Mm -hmm. And then artists started to move in. And then the gay population moved in. And... Well, then you know what happened next. So I should, should I be following gay people around to Absolutely. see where they're living? Absolutely. Okay, good, you because get more I, I do it already, and now I have a reason. Tutor. Absolutely. <laughs> Me too. Okay. We are valuable to cities because of our ability to revitalize inner city areas that were once slums. We move in, renovate, garden, start businesses, and just the fact of having people out and around doing things, that just breathes new life into a stale neighborhood. Cities are also profiting from gay events like Pride, for example. Tourists, both gay and straight, flock to the city for the Pride Festival, the parade, and other related events. They bring their money with them and book hotels, eat at local restaurants, take public transit, and buy retail products. What's threatening gay villages is their own success. Queer people have been successful in turning around these failed neighborhoods, revitalizing them and gentrifying them. Now, the rent is too high for businesses, it's too high for new residents, especially younger queer people, at the beginning of their careers. Here's my hot tip. Montreal's gay village is still very affordable. If I were a betting man, I'd bet on Montreal and invest in some real estate there, because before you know it, the gays will have made it an expensive, fabulous neighborhood with new condos shooting up into the sky. Big development companies target gay villages as ideal places to live and start demolishing gay bars to build condos, and that is indeed what has happened in Toronto's gay village. Pretty soon we're going to be losing another bar on Church Street, Cruz and Tango's, to a condo development. Walk down Church, and you'll see corporate shops and restaurants like Starbucks, Subway, The Body Shop. If you're a millennial and you see the value in having a gay village, do something about it. Be a patron to gay businesses. Eat at restaurants in the village. Volunteer. Just be present in the area, even if you don't live there. Now, due to coronavirus, the Pride Festival this year and the parade are canceled in Toronto's village, and I'm looking forward to when they can get that vaccine out there so I can go back to my gay sports league, go back to having drinks at Woody's, and going to drag shows again. 
That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, give my podcast a rating, and share it with someone you think might like it. Thanks. Bye.